from the campus of Gonzaga University in Spokane, Washington. You're listening to the G Suite Podcast, where we discuss all things Zag business. Episode one, Todd Finkel is the Pickett Professor of Entrepreneurship at Gonzaga University. The author of two books, Warren Buffett, Investor and Entrepreneur, was recently published by Columbia University Press, and Lessons Learned from Leading Entrepreneurs, Case Studies in Business and Entrepreneurship. Dr. Finkel discusses lessons learned from studying the masters. Go ahead and roll. Welcome to the podcast, Todd Finkel. <laughs> this podcast. Uh, this is our very first recording, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, a couple other folks on the docket, but um, yeah, go ahead. You start it off. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Andrew. And uh, I'm excited to, to talk about a variety of topics today. And first of all, I wanted to, to ask you, you know, what's up with the bow tie? <laughs> Why do you always wear a bow tie? It's, um, it started out, I think, I think, Todd, when I first came here, I was worried about looking too young. So I, I kind of overdressed to look older. Now it's going the other way. Now, now I want to look younger. Um, but for some reason, in my mind, I wasn't going to get maybe the respect or uh, in class for, you know, appearing more like a peer as opposed to a, a professor. Um, so I, I would dress up. Uh, and I like the bow tie. I think it kind of played to being an accountant, uh, to being a, a professor. Uh, but after about three years, it became a situation where if I'm not wearing a bow tie, uh, I'm getting a lot of questions for it. So it's just worth having it on to avoid that uh, that barrage of questions. I have three, three, maybe just two right now in the office, emergency ones, in case something comes up. So, so do you sleep in your bow tie? I don't sleep in my bow tie. I do not mow my lawn in my bow tie. <laughs> Say in total, my closet, I probably have around 30 in rotation um, and another maybe 100 total. I don't I don't buy them. All. I get them as gifts a lot. Yeah. So but I don't wear all. So, for example, when Washington State legalized cannabis, my in-laws who are, are very southern and proper uh, and my, my father-in-law is also a bow tie wearer. Um, are they from Florida? Yeah, they're from Sarasota, Florida. Um, well, they're from, he's from Fort Myers originally. So not proper South, but very uh, genteel folks. You know, like for example, the first time I went to dinner at their house, you know, of course I sat down and I was Pacific Northwest style, two two buns and already into my turkey. And uh, he's at home at dinner. He's pulling the chair out for his wife and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like, oh, well, that was poor my part but he sends me uh, uh a can of a marijuana bow tie right so but that just goes in the box in the basement because i can't i can't wear that right <laughs> i mean it's you know wearing it around town would kind of give different 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 vibes different feel but it's been fun um but it is it, i'm stuck with it now so whether i like it and or... how do you like your uh your new promotion your uh wh- wh- what is your official title now I- yeah, this You're is an a, endowed chair now, right? I, well, I'm the, I'm the Jed Regis Endowed Chair of Accounting, uh, and it's been awesome. Uh, fantastic couple, Dan and Cecilia Regis. They, um, Dan spent a career, Cecilia was a school grade school teacher. Uh, Dan spent a career at an accounting firm and was a managing partner. And back in, in his day, 
usually had to retire around 55 or younger, sometimes mandatory retirement. Um, so he went on to another career as a venture capitalist. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing, you know, that's where um, he did really well. Um, and they had a, a family story and they've always valued education. And they had a family story of, um, that, that goes back to actually Dan, who would be Dan's uncle. So when, when Dan's father, and they grew up in Spokane, his father did, uh, the, the man of the family, the father passed away. And so the big, large Catholic family, they got split up. I think a couple of the kids went to, uh, you know, an orphanage of sorts. Some went to family members, wherever they could. And Uncle Joey, who was maybe 11 at the time, 12, um, went to work on farms. Uh, I think he went back to the Midwest and saved enough money over a couple of years to come back home, buy a home, come back to Spokane and buy a home to get the family back together. And they did. And so Dan and Cecilia kind of expressed to me that family was one of the most important things uh, for them. And they, uh, as, because they did well, they paid for all their nieces and nephews uh, to go to college. Um, and they really valued education. I think they wanted to put their money to good use. So they, they named it after Dan's father, um, Judd Regis, um, who was also had a, has a, had a great career in business, um, only a high school degree, but worked hard. Uh, and as Dan describes it, just a real family-centered individual. So they've been great, great to work with. Um, it's been fun. I think we're going to do some pretty cool stuff with it. So uh, I appreciate the question. So uh, that, that's pretty cool. I, I've not heard that story before. And uh... Um, it's a, a very interesting story. My chair uh, was endowed by Mark Piggott, uh, and Mark Piggott is the executive chairman of PACAR. And uh, I worked for PACAR back in the uh, Yeah, you PACAR. worked for them? Yeah. Yeah. So I did not know that. Yeah, and I've never met uh, Mark Piggott, but. I've heard some legendary stories. Go ahead. He, he's uh, an intense guy, but I, I want, I always thank him uh, all the time for endowing uh, my chair and um, allowing me to come to Gonzaga. Uh, I'm not so sure that I would have come here if it wasn't a chair because I was at a certain point in my career where I wanted to move up, you know, and, and uh, that was a new chair that he endowed and, and uh, that was very attractive to me and my wife and I wanted to come out here uh, to be closer to uh, her, my stepson and her son who lives down in California. Uh, and he's an announcer for the San Francisco Giants. And uh, we didn't want to live in California for obvious reasons. I won't go into the reasons, you know why. Uh, but, you know, Spokane, we thought would be a really nice place to live and have uh, easy access to San Francisco. It's a, a two hour flight or maybe even quicker. Uh, and uh, uh, so, so I was very lucky that that opened up. I applied right away. I wasn't really sure where Spokane was, but my wife knew and she goes apply for it right away. <laughs> and so, so I applied for it right away and uh, I came out here and I interviewed in February of uh, let's see 2010, 
and Paul Buller picked me up at the airport. He was the uh, chair of the committee. And uh, for those of you that don't know Dr. Paul Buller, he's uh, an incredible man, a very humble uh, and caring person uh, that, that loves to help people. And that was very evident when I hung out with him that whole weekend. And he got to my heart right away by taking me to a Gonzaga basketball game. And uh, so he, yeah, that was pretty much it. Yeah, he, he obviously heard through the grapevine that I liked hoops. And so he took me to the game and, and I fell in love with it. Really, you know, I fell in love with Gonzaga. I'm older. I've been around, you know, I've taught for 34 years and I've probably interviewed at maybe 75 schools throughout my career. And I have never in my entire career been around a culture like Gonzaga. And if you talk to the students that come to Gonzaga and probably the basketball players as well, it's, it's a uh, culture of family where we look out for each other and want each other to be successful. And uh, that was very evident when I came here. Uh, you know, the, the whole, uh, our president puts out emails when somebody is sick or somebody dies, you know, we're, we're caring for each other, caring for the soul. Uh, and uh, that was very, very appealing. I I'll tell you, if that wasn't at Gonzaga, I wouldn't have come here, that, that culture, because it was nowhere else. Nowhere else in my entire 34-year career was the culture of Gonzaga, and I don't know who started it, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's rocking. Yeah, and uh, the students know it. Everybody I talk to, why'd you come to Gonzaga? It's the culture, because I I talk to them about stuff like that in class. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So you know, I'm happy to be here, and uh, you know, there's great faculty. We have faculty that that are some of the best teachers I've ever been around in my career. They really care about teaching, and helping the students, and um. It's great to see, and I'm not so sure that students really appreciate that, uh, how much we do care and how hard we do work to help them. Uh, and I know the accounting field uh, does a great job. You guys are, you want to tell us about, you know, your rankings and your placements? And uh, Yeah, so I, um, yeah, I think we've always, we've had a good tradition in the school of business and, 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 and in accounting of um, rigor. I think we put a, a big premium on rigor. I, I feel like it goes back to maybe pre Mark few basketball dynasty to where, you know, we were more or less just an outpost trying to compete with the big kids on the block, the big state schools uh, lack the resources. But one thing we could do is, that personal touch, small classroom sizes, engaging with the students and asking a lot of them. And I think we've had a good tradition in accounting of, of really getting a lot out of our students, pushing them. And, and, um, and, and that, I, that's not exclusive to accounting, um, but, that, but that's my perspective. You know, I was 
uh, I, I'm a fourth generation Zag. So my great grandfather came here. Um, and uh, as you as you know, Todd, my grandfather was a professor here in a county for uh, just about 50 years. Um, and so for me, you mentioned the word family. I mean, it is a, a family affair on some level. I, I grew up uh, on campus and just in the in the Gonzaga community. I always I always think of people at Gonzaga as like extended family, like cousins, second cousins, which I have plenty of those uh, even without Gonzaga. Um, but I and I, I, was, I feel like you're my cousin. Yeah, that's right, brother. That's right. <laughs> and I, you know, I um, actually I didn't start at, at Gonzaga. I went to a big state school. I transferred in, uh, and and I went to Florence, studied abroad, and um, you know, it was like you say, it was the community. Uh, it was I felt like I was part of something special. I, it was where I belonged, um, and then eventually got lucky and and through kind of a series of dumb luck, got got to be able to come back and teach here after some some time in Atlanta, um, some time in Seattle, a little stint in Boston, um, and some stints overseas. Um, I, you, you might actually like this this story, Todd. I, I, I was working at Deloitte International Tax in Seattle. Um, and I know you asked about accounting, and I'll get back to accounting in, in a little bit. But um, And it was morning, and it might have been 7.30 or 8. It was a busier time of year, so we were there early. And uh, Car I, uh, Jeff Corbett, a partner there, uh, he knew I went to Gonzaga and he came over and said, hey, I need someone to go do some interviews at Gonzaga today. Would you be willing to do that? So I looked at my schedule and I, you know, he was the partner in charge. So I said yes. And, um, you know, I think I was within an hour, I was on the next flight from SeaTac into Geiger, um, probably late for the first interviews. Interviews went great. And there was a a practice at the time to have lunch with the faculty so I, I we sat down and Jepson 211 and I don't Sedex catered it and I sat next to Eddie Beer uh, and I was talking to him it had been I don't know 15 years since I've talked to a lot of these folks it was great to catch up um, and I kind of told him what I'd been doing and I went to law school and I got an LLM in tax and he said hey you're you're uh, you have a terminal degree in your field uh, and that makes you academically qualified to be a tax professor. Um, and we're looking for someone right now. Have you ever thought of thought of it? And, you know, I hadn't thought of it too extensively, other than I think probably everyone at, at some point has an impactful teacher and they're like, oh, this would be cool to be a part of. And, and I think there's a human nature uh, for most folks that you want to teach, you want to mentor. Um, but, I mean, that was early October. I think I did my interview around... The week after Halloween, and I was in the classroom in January, so it it happened pretty quick. Um, and and as you mentioned, I mean, we in accounting we have great students. Same at the School of Business, and I got great colleagues, right? So that, that makes my job pretty easy. Fact, and just, just a, a little note: you moved in right next door to me, in the office right next to me, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where where we became friends. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, we uh, you go to graduation and, and you meet the parents after, and they always say thank you. And I just want to say uh, thank you. I, mean, I, I didn't. I you sent me a great kid, not a kid, but you sent me a great student. Uh, you did all the work. You, they just make me look good on the back end. So um, yeah, but to to go back to your original, you know, we we put a real focus early on on the numbers we could control: CPA exam pass rate. 
uh, and, and rankings and accounting. And uh, it's worked out well for us. And, and today, Todd, I would guess over the last six or seven years, um, and we're placing people all over the country, but I, we probably have had, including interns, maybe as many as 15 folks go to uh, London uh, with a firm over there on the tax side. We're going to expand that to a second firm. So uh, it's been exciting to be a part of. I inherited a great, you know, a great, uh, great program. So, yeah. Yeah, but you're a great professor, too. Um, you're being humble. Uh, and the students love you. And um, not, not all of them. I, no, I got some kudos to you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, you know, and you do a great job with the graduation rate as far as the CPA is concerned. What is it now? 99%? Yeah, you know, we're, we're, we float around mid 80s, 86% first time pass rate. Um, I'm 80 to 85%. Um, yeah, the national average, I guess, is probably around 40 to 45%. Wow. So, yeah. That's huge. Yeah, it's been, we really, we don't make it easy on them, but I think they're thankful. You know, the one promise I make at orientation to the grad students is that when they leave here and they go, to their first job that they will be the most technical among their peers and i think we we hold true to that so yeah i've had accounting students you know and, and majoring in entrepreneurship too and they're excellent students they are hard-working students um i had one in small business consulting this semester and she was just awesome and she was a leader yeah yeah absolutely we get good students they make us look good like i said let me, hey, let's talk a little bit about your book here and maybe give me a little background on, on what, what, uh, what attracts you to the greatness of Warren Buffett. You're certainly not the only one. Who, who so the uh, title of the book is Warren Buffett, uh, Investor and Entrepreneur, and it came out in print this year in March 14th, 2023. And uh, that was uh, the climax of 14 years of work, nine years part-time and five years full-time. I really didn't decide on writing the book until about five years ago, and I went full force into it. And I think you, you followed me along my journey, part of my journey, but I don't think you know the whole journey. Um, the whole journey is really long but I can give you an abbreviated version of it. In 2007, my uh, cousin uh, contacted me. His name is Steve Nog and he's out of Omaha, which is where Warren Buffett lives. And I grew up with Warren, Warren's son, went to high school with his son, Peter. Uh, he told me that, that uh, uh, Warren was inviting universities to come and spend a day with him. So I applied uh, and I'm get, it's a really quick version here. And I got rejected. His secretary told me not to bother applying again because the list was years long. Everybody, because it was open to anybody in the world, all this, the schools all over the world. Uh, the list was so long, don't even waste your time. And uh, so I was really depressed, <laughs> and, uh, but I still wanted to learn as much as I could about Warren Buffett because he's Warren Buffett. You know, he's probably the most successful business 
person since J.P. Morgan. Uh, and uh, so I wrote a case study uh, during the Great Recession, submitted it to an academic journal, it got accepted. And then I had this uh, great thought that, hey, what if, what if I submit this tote to Warren Buffett? Maybe I might have a shot at getting invited to go visit him. You never know, you know? It was my way of thinking entrepreneurially outside of the box to try and enter, um, to be part of his little group, his day. Uh, and 10 days later, I got a letter back uh, from him without a return address. Uh, and it was him, <laughs> he wrote a letter to me thanking me uh, uh, for writing the case study about him. And he invited me up in November of 2009 on the same weekend that they bought Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroad. So that was, you know, he had people, all these uh, TV people, uh, radio people following him around all day. But he was with us all day, the students all day. And he loves to teach. He said that he would be a teacher if he wasn't doing what he was doing today. Uh, he loves to help people. Uh, and, and the kids, he loves working with kids, you know, college students. And, uh, you know, he did that for a number of years, you know, and I went two more times. I, I went on the, the, the market and I got the job here at Gonzaga. Um, I'll tell you a quick, funny story. Uh, when I interviewed at Gonzaga and I was in the, uh, I want to say the interim provost office, and he he saw that that I visited Buffett and he, he didn't really grasp that I actually met him in person and took a class to go see him in person and and uh I, when I told him that, he was just kind of shocked. <laughs> and there, I knew I had an edge to get the job after that interview. And I can't, for the life of me, he was a lawyer. I can't remember his name. Uh, and uh, so I came to Gonzaga after I, I, I took my students to, uh, uh, to, from my former school to go visit him. And they, my students at the former school, just, uh, they thought, it was just incredible, you know, the opportunity to meet him, to go out to lunch with him, to have your picture taken with him, um, just to hang around with, with him. And, and he's so humble and uh, he's got a great sense of humor. You know, people want to be around him. He's a leader, you know, he gives great advice. Uh, one of the things that really, there was a couple things that he said to us that really stand out. You know, one was uh, the most important decision you'll make in your life is who you marry, uh, which I wish I knew when I was 20 years old like them. And the other, and he was looking right at me when he said this, uh, I was in the front row uh, and he said, the most successful business people that I've met in my life are not the ones that have gone to these high-powered, uh, you know, Ivy League type 
universities, but the ones with the most business experience that think way outside of the box. So he put a, a high value there when he, by saying that on creativity. Uh, and uh, I know he, he values that enormously, but he also values persistence enormously. Uh, and uh, throughout his life, he, he has had to be persistent. Um, I know he tried to get a job on Wall Street and he got rejected, but he kept on being persistent over five years and he ended up getting that job. But back to uh, my little story about the book, you know, the first nine years were just doing all these activities with Warren Buffett, you know, all these trips to go visit him with my students and hanging out with them, going out to lunch with them three days and uh, having a, a two and a half hour Q&A session with them every time we went to go visit him. And, you know, I had that's all in the book. You know, that's all primary research that's in the book. Uh, that you can't find anywhere else. And um, and it was great, even when writing the book, going back and looking at, at what his thoughts were back throughout, throughout the years. And uh, I just love to learn, you know, and, and by creating this book, it gives everybody an opportunity to learn about my experiences with Warren Buffett, uh, you know, both the uh, financial and the personal level. Uh, and one of the things that really stood out from our trips to go visit him, I would ask my students, you know, what, what was the, the biggest thing that you got out of this experience? And they, they would all say basically the same thing. It was how to be a better person. You know, the values that they picked up from him, you know, the, the little sayings like, you know, the, the most important decision in your, in your life will be who you marry. You know, who do you ever hear that from? I've never heard that from anybody until I heard that from Warren Buffett and I heard it too late. <laughs> I, I heard it. When I, I won't say how old I was when I heard it, but, um, and, and what a luxury for these kids to have that said to them uh, at, at that age. And I think they understood the power of what, what was going on uh, and everything, but um the other two times that I went when I was at Gonzaga wasn't easy either. You know, when I got to Gonzaga, he rejected me again. I applied right away and he, he rejected me again. And so I had, uh, I was teaching an entrepreneurship class and I, I came up with a creative idea of I wanted them to create a product with the objective of getting invited to go visit Warren Buffett. Uh, and that was 50% of their grade. And so I said, it could be anything. I didn't really care what they did. I just wanted them to be creative and innovative and think like an entrepreneur and come up with a product where Warren would want us, he would be impressed with the product and their ability to think outside of the box. And, and they did a wonderful job. You know, the, the best team was, uh, and the idea generated was from a religious studies student and uh, <laughs> a religious studies student. It's funny. Yep. And, uh, and there was an engineer who's now a PhD. He got his PhD at Duke, was in that team and a business student 
they came up with a uh, idea for a Warren Buffett pinball machine because Warren Buffett had a pinball company when he was like 15. And uh, he would put all these pinball machines and barbershops and he'd split the, the, uh, the sales with the, the guys that own the shop. So I thought, oh, man, what a genius idea. <laughs> you guys came up with, the, with a rock star idea. And uh, so we sat down and we talked about how they were going to do it and you know how much money they were going to need and how much time they had and all this other stuff. And it just it wasn't feasible to do in about a half a semester. And they didn't have the money. But so what we focused on was a, a design for a Warren Buffett pinball machine. And that's what came out of that group. And to me, that was enough to get invited right there. And there were there were four other uh, teams. One did like a, a, a Zagopoly kind of a thing with Warren Buffett as a as a piece going around a game board, and and our president Thane McCullough is another one. Uh, another team did it was a fabulous video about the values of Gonzaga. Uh, it, it was just awesome, just awesome. Uh, and so I picked those three to send to Buffett in a big box. And I thought to myself, when I was at the UPS office, I thought, what shot do I have of us getting accepted to go visit him? And uh, I thought it was about 60%. And so five days later, I get a call from the secretary inviting us again to go visit Warren Buffett. So that was the second time. See, if you notice, there's a repeating pattern here with Warren Buffett is that you have to earn it. You're not going to get invited just based on your pretty face. Thank God, because I don't have a pretty face. You have to earn it with Warren Buffett. So you have to think outside of the box and come up with something that's really unique that he's going to you know, think, hey, you know, these people deserve to come here. And I did it one more time with Gonzaga. So, you know, in that time, I wrote two case studies and sent it to him. And that was good enough to get us invited uh, again. And, and I wrote five articles during that period. This is over a nine-year period, Andrew. And I didn't even think about writing a book during this period. I was having a lot of fun <laughs> doing all these things. And then John Hemmingson. I'm almost done. No, this is great. John, John Hemmingson, uh, his secretary calls me and says, uh, and I didn't even know who this guy was. Because uh, uh, I, I was still relatively young at Gonzaga, a couple of years. He goes, he wants to go out to lunch with you. Uh, and I go, fine, you know, let's go to Jack and Dan's. And so I met him at Jack and Dan's. And uh, he had my book, my first book, which was uh, on uh, all these famous entrepreneurs, their backgrounds and everything. And, and Buffett was in there. I wrote a, the, that first case study in there. And so we talked about Buffett and everything. And he loves Buffett. Da, 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 da. He manages his own money. He's a, uh, an entrepreneur. Da, 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 da. And, uh, at the end, he goes, how would you like to, to come to the shareholder meeting this year in my private jet? <laughs> so 
I'm thinking to myself, oh, okay, no, I don't think I want to go on a private jet. I don't think that would be. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I said, like, right away, I said, sure, I'd love to do it. And he goes, well, let's, let's select six students and go to Omaha uh, and to the shareholder meeting. And, and so um, I did that three years in a row with John. Wow. And this was before the Hemmingson building was built. Oh. Uh, so I'm hoping that I had some kind of contribution yes. <laughs> to, to him because I know he loves students just like Warren loves students. And he loves you know, talking to them and teaching them uh, as well. Um, and I'm still friends with John and John read the book and he gave me accolades, a lot of a glowing review uh, for the book. And uh, yeah, he's is there anything else? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm almost done. So that was nine years. The next five years was just going full force into writing the book and uh, doing all this research. And it, it's quite an entrepreneurial endeavor. Uh, to do this, at least for me, it was, is because there's so much information that you have to know to put out a good book. Uh, and I wanted to do something really, really, really good. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, Charles Fishkin, a friend of mine from when I was young, helped me out. He, he published a couple books on, on risk management. And Matt Koffler, who's on my advisory board, I have a 70-member advisory board, uh, and they, they're all over the country, and they are just like gold for my program. Uh, I wouldn't be able to have such a, pro, a good program without them. Uh, and Matt Koffler is on there, and he helped out a lot with the book. On the financial side, he's a, a, a CFA. So he knew a lot about valuation and he helped me out with that. You know, being in entrepreneurship, um, I had to kind of learn all that stuff on my own. Uh, you know, I never took a class on valuation. It was all self-taught. Right. And uh, so over the five-year period, I just kept on writing and rewriting. And then, you know, I could talk to you for, for days about the process of trying to get it published with a good publisher. I didn't want it to be self-published or with, uh, you know, uh, some, uh, a publisher that didn't have brand name recognition. And I got Columbia University Press to go ahead and uh, work with me on this, which was very, was very lucky to, uh, to be able to get them to work with me and, and it's it's been a great experience, I'll tell you. You know, I I talk about it with my entrepreneurship students about the whole process. It's all entrepreneurship, and I'm practice practicing it in real time, so I can share it with my students. Um, so that's kind of a, you know what led up to everything, and uh, it wasn't like oh I'm going to write a book on Warren Buffett. <laughs> it was. It all started with a phone call from my cousin in 2007. Yeah. And it led up to that. And there were so many people that were involved in that. Uh, I, I can't thank them enough. You know, uh, I wish I had the list with me and I could read everything. And 
and thank all these people. But uh, um, I think it's important when you do something of this significance to not be afraid to ask for help. Right. And and people will help you. They'll they'll want to help you. That's one of the bigger lessons from this journey of writing the book. So if you were to write a book, now that I've talked so long about that, what would you want to write a book on? Or would you want to write a book? Well, this, now this is where get a cup of coffee because we, we, uh, we're going to start talking tax here, Todd. So it's gonna be <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a, so I have, I have, uh, it's funny how how life unfolds and how it works out. You know, when I when I was in practice at Deloitte, I did international tax, um, and also through some luck, uh, well, at Gonzaga, I ended up teaching continuing education for a couple firms, and my expertise became S corporations. And then I was involved and still am involved with some of the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, they have resource panels, technical resource panels. I'm on the escort panel currently. Um, so I've been able to kind of dig really deep into subchapter S. And as an accountant, you get lost in the details a lot or concerned with the details a lot. But if, if I were to do a book, it would be what I'm starting to recognize as I dig deeper into it, some of the themes and concepts from the angle of what we're trying to accomplish um, as we raise revenue and we also encourage or discourage certain activities. There's elements of equity. There's elements of um, are we able to administer this tax and actually collect it, um, which, which is a lot more fun and fascinating to me than you know, filing deadlines and, and calculating a, you know, a, a tax liability. So that's where it would be on the higher level. What are we trying to do? So maybe even the person that, that doesn't get into the nitty gritty every day, but has some exposure and, and wants to know about tax could kind of pick up some of the concepts and themes and maybe be more informed when they're having discussions. For example, the entrepreneur having a discussion with, with her tax advisor or something to that effect. So yeah, I'll, I'll cut it off there before you get, we could go on for a while. It would be, a, it would be a niche audience for sure. But, uh, uh, but you, I, you, you, I, you can appreciate that because you, you got guys digging into the numbers and business valuations on, on the Buffett side. And um, so, uh, so yeah, but you, you'd mentioned Todd, uh, the shareholders meeting and you go, you, you go back pretty often. Were you there this year at the shareholders meeting? Yeah, I was there this year. Yeah. Can you share what that experience is? So I, I, uh, the Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting is, is uh, there were 40,000 people there this year from all over the world. And uh, it's part, let me try to de define the meeting. It's part carnival, part circus, part rock concert, and part, it's the other one, cult. Yeah, <laughs> cult. So it, it's, uh, these are shareholders of Berkshire Hathaway. You know, and Berkshire Hathaway was formed in 1965. So you're looking at, you know, over 50 years that he's been doing these shareholder meetings, starting in a cafeteria with about 10 people. And now he's got 40,000 people coming from all over the world. And and usually 3,000 people from China. Wow. 
every year come in. And that was actually one, you know, I, I went to it this year after my book came out and I was fortunate enough to be invited to uh, three conferences, meetings to present uh, about my book. And one of them was called the Sino-US meeting or catalog. Uh, and it, it was mostly Chinese people. There, there were two US citizens there, me and the head of uh, Girls Inc., which is a big uh, uh, nonprofit that Warren supports. And so we had a, 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 this was right after the meeting, by the way. So you're sitting there all day listening to these guys talk, and then you have to go to this, this uh, uh, conference, and then you're, you're talking, you're doing the talking. And, and so she was up there, we had an interpreter, uh, you know, Chinese to U.S., English, and uh, the Girls, Inc. lady was up there, and she talked a little bit about Girls, Inc. I was up there, and I talked a little bit about, you know, Berkshire and my book, and we get back to our seats after we're done and everything, and the people were just wonderful. Uh, I come back, and I sit down in my chair, and the, the interpreter says to, to both uh, the head of Girls, Inc. and me, and she says, Oh, by the way, that was just streamed to China to 500,000 people. And (laughs) I'm sure glad she didn't tell me that ahead of time. (laughs) And and, uh, so that was a lot of fun. But I I like doing stuff like that. There was a couple other conferences that I went to there, but they were before the meeting. One was... uh, the Gabelli Research Conference, and there were 500 people that I presented to uh, there, and that was streamed to a couple hundred more people. Uh, and that was a panel too with experts on Berkshire Hathaway uh, and Warren Buffett. And so um, it was exciting to meet like-minded people, uh, people that you know are passionate about the same thing that I'm passionate about. Uh, and uh, I, you know, it's nice having people come up to me with their books and wanting me to sign their, my book that they bought. <laughs> you know, that was kind of funny. You know, this guy from, uh, uh, where was it, Indonesia or something, was running up to me and asked me to sign the book. So it's something that I've never had before being an academic, you know. You know how many people read our papers. Right. <laughs> so, this is now people from all over the world that are reading my stuff. And uh, that's kind of what I wanted when I wrote the book. I wanted a bigger audience to read what I was, what I had to say. And so that, that was the first meeting. And uh, then I went to another meeting and this was more, uh, this was at the university of Nebraska at Omaha at Mammal Hall. Uh, which was donated through Warren Buffett money, money that this guy made through Warren Buffett. And so I gave a presentation there to about 180 people from all over the world uh, about my book. Uh, And uh, um, Mario Gabelli, I don't know how many people uh, uh, know who he is. He's a very famous uh, financial guy. And Robert Hagstrom uh, was there, and I got a chance to meet them. Uh, so 
the book is opening doors for for me another chapter in my life to expand my horizon and meet people that I normally wouldn't meet um and uh I'm I'm just very lucky that I have this opportunity to do it and I wouldn't have been able to do it without the support of both of our our former deans I know Bud Barnes, when he hired me in 2010, just loved Warren Buffett. And he was impressed that I was doing all these things with Warren Buffett. Uh, and he still is impressed with all the stuff that I'm doing. Uh, but he's not our dean anymore. Now it's uh, Ken Anderson, Dr. Ken Anderson. And, and Ken has been very supportive of the things uh, that I, I've been doing as well. And I'm lucky that I have that support and a lesson that I can share with other faculty all over the world is that that you need the support of your administrators uh, so you can accomplish the goals that that you want to uh, to uh, achieve as an academic. Uh, so I was very fortunate to have both of them on board with what I was doing and not saying, hey, you can't do that, you know? And they easily could have said that, um, you know, and, but they didn't. They were 100% behind me and uh, I'm just very fortunate. And, but, you know, also here I am, little old me from Gonzaga, and 500,000 people in China are seeing Gonzaga University. Right. And at the other presentation, there are 700 people that are seeing Gonzaga University. Right. I don't see any other universities there. I'm the only one with a, it says university behind uh, my name. So the, the PR that I've been generating is invaluable. Right, right. My friends kid me saying that that uh, I'm on the level of Mark Few in the basketball team. <laughs> They're just joking around. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, I was told once by a, a student who went to Japan after he graduated that when Rui Hachimura was playing at Gonzaga, it was it led the Tokyo Evening News. You know, Rui scores you know 26 with 10 rebounds like the. It was, it, was on, it was on the ticker all the time from Gonzaga, right? So same kind of deal where that, that free publicity is pretty, pretty invaluable. Just before I forget, so the book is titled Warren Buffett, Investor and Entrepreneur, available at Columbia U Press and also on Amazon, I would imagine, right? Yeah, on Amazon and Google and uh, Target, all, all the, the retail outlets yeah. uh, have it for sale. And Perfect. Um, for this generation, what advice do you have for uh, the graduating student about to embark on, on a career uh, in business or entrepreneurship or, or all of the above? Just in general, hang around with people that are better than you, and then you'll flow in the direction of them. And they'll, you know, they say that you, you are who you hang around with, the five people that you hang around with. So uh, another thing that I would say to them would be that uh, money is not the answer. I mean, you have to have a certain amount of money. And I talk to my students about this every semester. 
and I'm assuming that they get it other places uh, that uh, you have to have a certain amount of money, you know, for, for rent and for food and shelter and stuff like that. But your level of happiness does not significantly increase past a certain level. Uh, so if you think that, you know, having two, two X or 10 X versus X is going to make you happy, you're probably wrong. <laughs> you know, which leads into, and I experienced that firsthand, by the way. Um, I, I, I had a job after undergrad and I made a lot of money and I was miserable. I hated my job. Uh, and uh, so I learned the hard way. So do something that you really enjoy, that you're passionate about. I know these are, you know, kind of old um, sayings and everything, but uh, let me uh, say a caveat there is that that uh, when I graduated, I would have loved to have been a rock star, been a singer in a, a rock and roll band. That would have been great because I love music and everything. There's only one problem is, is that I couldn't sing for the life of me. Nobody would come and listen to me sing. So the point is, the lesson learned is, is that do something that you're really good at, that you're passionate about, that you can make a living doing. Right, right. Because you're going to have to pay the bills uh, after you graduate. And, you know, some of these students are going to have student loan payments they're going to have to have paid off as well. So especially uh, for them as well. But, yeah, th those are just a couple of my thoughts. How about you? I, I, I think you nailed it. You know, it's a, it's that blend of something you like doing because you're going to spend a lot of your life doing it. Um, but at the same time, it does have to have a practical, applicable aspect, right? I mean, I, you know, my, <clears throat> my wife studied linguistics, which is absolutely fascinating, but she'd be the first one to tell you that it's, it's pretty useless uh, after you get out of college. And that's not to say that someone with linguistics can't go out and learn and, and, and upskill or whatever. But, you know, when we talk about the, the price of higher ed, you mentioned debt, and I mean, you better be coming out with some pretty employable skill sets. Um, I mean, you, you definitely want to take a lot of the cool classes we offer at Gonzaga, like philosophy and, and different things to, to be a thinker, but you got to get something that someone's going to pay you for as well. So that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Great talking yeah. to you, Andrew. And uh, I wish you the best of luck and go Zags. Go Zags.